Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I was, you know, well and truly cancelled. Uh, it was impossible to know where to turn for help. I think it, deep down within the kind of human psyche, there's probably this fear of excommunication and being cast out of your kind of tribe. Well, we've all been pushed around. Hello and welcome to It's Complicated with Tanya Goodin, the podcast that helps you untangle your relationship with your phone. Cause we've all been pushed around. This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world, and about understanding why sometimes that's so hard to do. Because in learning how to step away from our phones more, we're actually learning how to focus more on our relationships, our work, and our health, leaving us happier, healthier, and with hours more time in our day. I'm your host, Tanya Gooden, author and founder of digital wellbeing movement Time to Log Off. Each week, I'll be asking a new guest what they've learnt about themselves from the relationship they have with the tiny tyrant in their pocket, their smartphone. I'm recording this the morning after the last debate in the US elections between President Trump and Joe Biden. And by all accounts, it was a much more civilised debate, a genuine debate, as opposed to the shouting match of the previous one. And it's very topical because that's really what I want to talk about in the next two episodes of the podcast. Because we are in a US election year, I want to talk about free speech and how we disagree and how we debate with each other online. It's not only topical because of the election, but really tragically, we've just had a terrible example of a teacher actually being murdered in France only last week as a result of a lesson on free speech that he was giving to his pupils. So it's topical and it's also important. And today I'm speaking with Toby Young. And Toby is frequently controversial. He's always provocative. He's an author. He's a journalist. He's the former founder and director of the New Schools Network. And he's the founder of the Free Speech Union. He's currently the London Associate Editor of Quillette magazine. Toby has had personal experience of cancel culture, of being cancelled online as a result of things that he wrote and said 
that were found to be offensive by a group of people online. So I actually really wanted to talk to him a bit more about what that feels like. What does it feel like when what he calls a twitch fork mob round on you? It happened a couple of years ago, but when you hear him talking about it, it's obviously something that's still very top of mind. And largely because of that, he then set up the Free Speech Union, which is to help people who have found themselves on the wrong side of cancel culture being no-platformed, holding views that are disagreeable to a large number of people. Toby's view is actually that we're just not designed as human animals to disagree in a good-humoured way that actually kind of reacting violently and aggressively to people that hold views that aren't our views is actually quite primitive and quite a tribal reaction. And I think he feels that, you know, us learning how to disagree in a civilised way may actually be an uphill task. But I'm going to let you see what you think as a result of listening to this interview. And I hope very much that you enjoy it. So, Toby, hi, welcome. Welcome to It's Complicated. Yeah, well, good to talk to you, Tony. So the reason I wanted to get you on the podcast is because, obviously, we're all about our relationship with the digital world and tech, but I've been thinking for a long time about the issue of free speech and free speech online and cancel culture and no platforming and everything that seems to be kind of happening in the Twitter sphere. I actually found a quote, you, you quoted this in a piece you wrote, I think only last week, Toby, about free speech, which I just wanted to kick off with, which was from Lord Justice Sedley, now Sir Stephen Sedley, writing about free speech. And he said, free speech includes not only the inoffensive, but the irritating, the contentious, the eccentric, the heretical, the unwelcome and the provocative. Freedom only to speak inoffensively is not worth having. So what has happened... To free speech online why is it so difficult <laughs> for anyone to express um uh, a range of views online anymore yeah it's an unexpected development i think when the internet first burst upon us and entered into everyday use in the mid-90s it was hailed as a fantastic free speech platform voices that had been excluded from important debates, hadn't been able to get a hearing or a platform in the public square, would suddenly be admitted into the conversation. You know, the, the gatekeepers, the editors of the New York Times comment section, they would be disempowered. And it would be this great kind of bottom up led democratic explosion of new voices and opinions. And you know, everyone hailed it as, you know, a great revitalization of um, democracy and free speech. And, you know, that's very much how I greeted it. But it hasn't turned out that way. I think there's a sort of probably two, more than two probably, but two I can think of, two important ways in which it hasn't turned out that way. The first and most obvious is that big tech censors dissenting views. And we saw this yesterday when both Facebook and Twitter essentially prevented people from sharing a New York Post splash about joe biden's son and allegations oh, yes, that he I behaved that. improperly yeah. in ukraine yeah. and that biden had intervened to protect him 
And uh, it did seem, I think it was probably the most, you know, in the past, I think big tech platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Google, Instagram, WhatsApp have tried at least to conceal their left-wing bias. But this, I think it was almost as though they were breaking cover and saying, it's the stakes are now so high on the eve of the presidential election, we're no longer going to conceal it. We're not pretending anymore. We're overtly telling you to vote for Joe Biden. And we're going to suppress any stories that seem to hurt him. And uh, we're only going to let you promote stories that are negative about Trump. In some ways, I hope, you know, the scales will have fallen from some people's eyes. I mean, I think the the most obvious way in which big tech is biased is in favour of left wing voices. And it's been interesting, actually, during watching the way big tech has suppressed dissent during the pandemic. Uh, So YouTube said uh, the chief executive of YouTube appeared on CNN, I think back in May or June, in which she told the interviewer that YouTube now had a policy of removing content which challenged the guidance being disseminated by the World Health Organization. Yeah, Um, I remember uh, that, yeah. And first of all, it's odd that YouTube should decide to side with one organization and the views being disseminated by that organization and against others. Now, you know, I think often when big tech companies try and justify this censoring of COVID dissent, they appeal to the idea that there is a single monolithic scientific consensus called the science and that anyone dissenting from that is just a purveyor of misinformation and fake news. And that if people believe that fake news, it could endanger public health. So that's a sort of rationale. But the problem is there isn't a monolithic scientific consensus about almost any aspect of the virus. Almost everything about it is contested. And you know this is reflected in the fact that the WHO itself keeps changing its mind. Its initial advice was don't wear masks. Now the advice is wear masks. It initially... It's changed its mind on lockdowns, hasn't um, it? It's just changed its mind on lockdowns. I mean, which prompted me to ask, well, now that the WHO has said we don't recommend lockdowns, uh, now that that seems to be the WHO official guidance, don't lock down, is YouTube now going to go back and comb through everything that's been posted on the platform dating back to March that's pro-lockdown and remove it. Well, of course they're not. It's a sort of wanting to be seen as, you know, as public authorities now, as the custodians of public discourse, deciding what's acceptable, what isn't, what's wholesome, what's toxic, what is a legitimate subject of debate, what's a conspiracy theory. I mean, they have become the kind of thought police of the public square. Uh, And that's certainly not how they presented themselves, you know, back in the mid 90s. But I think there's there's another way, probably a more significant way in which the emergence of social media as a sort of force in society has undermined free speech. And that's been that it's been very easily exploited by the enemies of free speech to penalise dissenters. You know, Twitter mobs can be whipped up by a few dedicated activists using viral hashtags to isolate and delegitimize individuals. And we've seen that again and again. It's become the kind of handmaiden of cancel culture. And actually, I think one of the reasons there hasn't been more 
debate even within the scientific community about what the correct government responses to the pandemic is partly because um, uh, there is this atmosphere in which people feel because of the way social media is used that if they put their heads above the parapet if they dissent if they express an unorthodox view uh, that they will suffer for it they're they're, they're going to be cancelled the mob will come for them Um, and it, it could be that this is just you know a teething problem We're in the sort of infancy of the social media era. Uh, And it might be that in due, I mean, often when when people do get cancelled, I mean, give you an example. I I started this organisation called the Free Speech Union, which um, is a non-partisan. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that in a minute. And and we defend people um, who've been cancelled. And there was a a, a good example, a guy called Nick Buckley, who started a charity in Manchester in 2011, I think. Works with disadvantaged young people, mainly homeless people in Manchester. Done such good work, he was given an MBE last year. At the height of the BLM protests, he wrote a blog which was quite critical of BLM, the organisation, and some of its uh, political objectives, such as defunding the police, dismantling capitalism, undermining the nuclear family and so forth. Someone started a petition on change.org saying this guy needs to be fired from the charity he set up because he's a racist. And it got 400 signatures, not very many. But nonetheless, the trustees of the charity duly acted on this and fired him. And the Free Speech Union came to his defence. We found a pro bono lawyer who was an expert in charity law. He found that the charity hadn't followed the correct procedures and you know before long he'd been reinstated and all the trustees that had fired him had resigned so it's a story with a happy ending but the point is the trustees overreacted to the activists by clever use of social media a tiny group of activists were able to create the impression that this was the weight of public opinion the majority view was that what nick had said was beyond the pale and he should no longer be employed he should be tossed under a bus for these uh, terrible things he'd said and i think you know minority activists tiny minorities of activists have proved very very clever very good at manipulating social media to create the impression that they are multitude when actually it's, you know, three or four people in a basement somewhere. Um, and maybe that's a teething problem. Maybe in due course, companies, charities, newspapers, broadcasters will become a little more sophisticated and a little less, you know, trigger happy when reacting to these calls to fire people, to throw them out the window. We, we can but hope. And now a message from our sponsor, The Time to Log Off Academy. As Karen Carpenter almost said, logging off is hard to do, particularly during a pandemic. Before we know it, our screens become our masters rather than our servants, and we find ourselves mindlessly scrolling through our phones, obsessively chasing likes on social media, or endlessly checking our work email on the weekends. If any of this sounds familiar, some digital healing may be in order. The experts at the Time to Log Off Academy can help you see which areas of your life are suffering due to screen dependency. They'll guide you through workable solutions so you can build a healthier, happier relationship with your screens and spend more time with pets, people and Mother Nature. The Academy's convenient online courses are available now and fans of It's Complicated can save with a strictly limited pandemic offer. To get 25% off your digital well-being course, visit academy.itstimetologoff.com today and use the code NOW25 while this offer lasts. So I do want to ask you about the Free Speech Union, but before I do that, I just want to ask 
I mean, you had your own experience of being kind of rounded on by a Twitter mob, didn't you? I know you've spoken about it before. I don't know whether you're fed up of speaking about it. <laughs> but for those that don't know about it, I was just wondering if you could kind of talk about what sure. happened. Yeah, well, in at the beginning of 2018, I was appointed to a new regulator, a higher education regulator in England called the Office for Students. I was one of 15 non-executive directors. It was a very minor post, but uh, and it wasn't a paid job. It was, you know, I was going to meet four times a year at a, you know, uh, board meetings. But I'd been appointed by Theresa May. And lots of people on Twitter decided that um, I wasn't a suitable person to serve on this august body and started engaging in offence archaeology, whereby they trawled through everything I'd said or written, in one case dating back to 1987, to try and take things out of context and, and demonstrate that I wasn't a, a fit person to serve on this public body. So that was articles you'd written in 87? Because it wouldn't yeah, be well, social The 87 thing then, was, it? it was a, an, I'd contributed an essay to a collection of essays edited by Rachel Johnson called The Oxford Myth. And my yeah, essay you'd was only on... just left Oxford then, hadn't you? I'd yeah. only just left Oxford, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it was quite something, kind of going back 31 years. But, you know, everything's Googleable. In this case, actually, it wasn't on Google. But the story behind that particular bit of offence archaeology is I ran a slightly unflattering profile of Evgeny Lebedev. was the cover story of the first edition of Spectator Life I edited, which is a sort of Spectator lifestyle, monthly lifestyle supplement. And uh, he was so cross that he got one of his journalists on The Independent to, 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 to go and dig up this book and take some things I'd said in the book out of context to make it look as though I was this raging snob. My chapter was about class. Um, and uh, so it, it sort of it was a fence archaeology at one remove. So all someone had to do was kind of dig up this piece that had been included in The Independent that someone else had done proper, you know, digging to find this dirt on me in retaliation for something I'd written. But it went on and on. I thought, you know, I'll ignore it in a few days. You know, the mob will move on and try and cancel somebody else. But they didn't. It was a slow Was there a week. hashtag? Was it was there the beginning a of the year. Young hashtag? Well, I, well, it was around the time of um, Me Too. So quite a lot of the tweets about me calling for me to be fired from this. We're uh, using that. We're using yeah. hashtag Me Too. Yeah. Even though, you know, yeah. I've never been accused of sexual harassment, let alone, you know, any sort of sex crimes. I'm not Harvey Weinstein. I'm happily married. I've been for, you know, 20 years. So that was a bit baffling, but nonetheless. And uh, uh, after about a week of this, you know, a petition had been started on change.org uh, calling for Theresa May to fire me. It got 220,000 signatures and there was a sort of mob of journalists parked outside my doorstep my daughter had stopped going to school it became quite difficult to get in and out of my house and you know it was a nothing job you know it was uh, it was something you do out of a sense of public duty not because you know there's any financial reward or it's going to lead to any great opportunities it was doing it because the prime minister had asked me to do it and I think she wanted one or two Tories to serve on the board of this regulator because everyone else was um, left of centre, including the chair, Sir Michael Barber, who used to work for Tony Blair. Anyway, so I'd agreed to serve, you know, rather reluctantly. And then suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm being deluged with uh, all these demands that I be fired. And I think, well, 
okay, I'll just step down. And I naively thought that if I did that, that would kind of draw a line under the whole affair and I could just get on with my life uh, and my daughter would be able to go back to school. Uh, But that was like throwing a chunk of raw meat to a shoal of piranha fish. And then they went after me in all my other jobs. Um, And I ended up having to step down from five positions in total, including my full-time job. So I was, you know, well and truly cancelled. And one of the things I found when that was happening to me is that uh, it was impossible to know where to turn for help. You know, you feel quite isolated. You feel there's a sort of primordial sense that the crowd has turned on you and you're being mm. pursued, you know, by this by this kind, kind of like a ravenous stoning, isn't mob. It? Yeah. It's a bit like a stoning. Yeah, yeah I think I think it yeah. deep down within the kind of human psyche, there's probably this fear of excommunication and being um, cast out of your kind of tribe and then pursued and flayed, like that scene in um, Apocalypto. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's like a Mel Gibson movie, but the central character is pursued through this kind of jungle, through this rainforest by this kind of posse of people intent on killing him. And it felt a bit like that. You have this kind of primordial fear and you don't, and you want, you want to turn to somebody for protection, for advice. You know, where do I get impartial good PR advice where can I get legal advice you know should I be responding to all these allegations or should I be you know lying doggo Uh, should I apologize or will that only make it worse you know all these questions are kind of tumbling through your mind um, and uh, you, you kind of feel helpless and isolated and not least because in some cases you know your friends don't stick up for you and in very few cases people you thought were friends of yours join the mob that didn't happen much in my case and for the most part my friends stood by me so that wasn't a major issue but still uh, and I thought so so after having gone through that experience and then sort of you know recovered from it I thought well maybe I should try and start an organization that can provide people who are going through a similar experience with some support and some help and I don't just mean legal support PR support I also mean psychological support because you know you do feel very vulnerable when that's happening to you and some people it's happened to have committed suicide I think think of at least six cases of people Mm -hmm. who have ended up killing themselves as a result of being mobbed uh, on social media in this way I mean it's however psychologically robust you think you are uh, it's a pretty traumatic experience so I wanted to provide a you know almost a support group for people who found themselves targeted for cancellation or for people who actually had been cancelled and that's that was the sort of seed of the of the free speech union idea and we launched it in April uh, in February of this year we've now got uh, when I last checked 6,300 members about 10 employees a pretty illustrious group of advisors on the advisory council we've just hired a full-time chief legal counsel a lot of the work we do to protect people is of a legal nature and it's really taken off I mean the, the timing seems to have been absolutely right um Free speech is suddenly, for a combination of reasons, in much greater peril now, I think, than at any time since the Second World War. So it it was a really timely intervention and it's been, you know, much more successful and much more urgently needed than even I had anticipated. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So give me an example of the sort of people you're helping. There was one interview I heard recently where you were talking about a mother who posted something on a Facebook page about something that had happened at a school that her child wasn't at. Is this ringing any bells with you? Yes. She works in a secondary school. She's called Christy Higgs. And she's a Christian, a devout Christian. And she's, she was concerned about the content of the sex and relationship education syllabus that was going to be taught not at her school but at her son's primary school i don't know if you've been following the controversy but sex and relationship education has uh, now been rolled out across the state primary sector in england and while parents can opt out most of them don't and it starts when they're when children are pretty young i think sort of five or six and uh, this woman because she's a christian was particularly concerned about the stuff about trans people that was likely to be taught to her son if he didn't opt out and even if he did to his friends and she expressed some of these concerns in a private facebook group not a public facebook group uh, to what she thought was a group of friends and she also posted a link to a petition uh, that had been started by a christian in america about the use of some of the more kind of racy risque materials in teaching children about sex and relationships in american schools and one of the people in that group complained to her secondary school where she was employed as a as a as a as a member of the support staff uh, so even though the criticism she had made was of her son's school not at the school she worked and even though it had been made in a private Facebook group, 
Nonetheless, this complaint was taken seriously by the head teacher and the governors of her secondary school. She had to go to this disciplinary hearing in a hotel room, bizarrely, where these governors took turns to berate her and grill her about her views. And they concluded that her views made her an unsuitable person to work in a secondary school. And she was fired for gross misconduct. And she then took the school to the employment tribunal. And that case was heard a few weeks ago. And incredibly, the employment tribunal found for the school. So now she's appealing that in the employment appeals tribunal. And it remains to be seen where she gets with that. But yeah, she's an example of, um, you know, an ordinary person expressing what she felt was, you know, a perfectly legitimate point of view rooted in her Christian faith and expressing it not in the public square, but privately to some friends and who has, as a result, lost her livelihood. Um, Pretty shocking. So are the majority of the people you're helping, would you say they've got conservative right wing views? Is that what's happening that kind of free speech is polarising around the right and the left? I think it would be fair to say that most of the people that reach out to us for help are right of centre, but not exclusively. So, for instance, one of the first interventions we made was on behalf of Selina Todd, who is um, the Professor of Modern History at Oxford. She was invited to speak at an international women's conference at Exeter College, Oxford. And in fact, she had supported the organisers of that conference and found them some money and helped them publicise it because she is herself a feminist. She used to write a column for The Guardian. I think she's a member of the Labour Party. But she's a gender critical feminist and had said some gender critical things. You know, she's one of these feminists who thinks that there is a conflict between trans rights and women's rights when it comes to access to women's only spaces like domestic refuges, rape crisis centres uh, and so forth. And a perfectly legitimate point of view and, you know, a debate which has not yet been resolved, something we're still talking about. But the, the day before she was due to give an address at this women's conference at Oxford, a couple of the other participants who were trans activists said, if she speaks, we don't. You have to choose between her and us. And of course, the correct response for the conference organisers was, in that case, take a hike. You know, we're not going to no platform her because you disapprove of her views. Why don't you come and debate her? But instead, the organisers rang up Selena Todd and said, sorry, you're disinvited because these other people have threatened to withdraw if you speak. Pretty shocking. And we intervened. We, I, I wrote a letter and complained to the rector of Exeter College, Oxford, pointing out that this was a breach of their own free speech policies and their external speakers policy. And those policies applied to external events organised on their premises, not just events organised by them. And they appointed a panel of fellows to investigate the matter, to investigate my complaint. And it was partially upheld. They, 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 they agreed that her speech rights had been violated and that the response of the organisers wasn't ideal. And it probably was a breach of their free speech policies. And they've agreed to, they said that they would undertake a review of their kind of bookings procedures to make sure that this kind of thing didn't happen again. So not everyone we get about for, you know, is a male, pale and stale conservative. Uh, and I think uh, increasingly, one of the characteristics of the woke left is to constantly look for uh, people who are insufficiently woke, 
people who may sort of express some piety, uh, some obeisance to, say, the Black Lives Matter cause, but don't do it in a pious enough way. They reveal themselves to be inauthentic or going through the motions and not something they genuinely feel and believe. And those are the people that the woke left are constantly going after. I mean, there was an example recently with Adele, wasn't there, who on the day of the Notting Hill Carnival kind of published a oh, picture yes, of herself sporting her, her yeah. braids, you know, and, yeah. um, and suddenly... The woke left turned on her, even though it was an expression of solidarity with, you know, African-Caribbean Londoners. Nonetheless, it was it was insufficiently pious. She'd sent not quite the right signal. And so she was suddenly cancelled for cultural appropriation. And because the left is constantly looking for heretics and apostates in this way, more and more of them, I think, are going to be needing the services of the free speech union. So I think it's probably not right um, to, to think it will only... Uh, look after, you know, male, pale and stale conservatives like me. So where do you think this is all going to end? <laughs> because it seems to be getting worse rather than better. The fact that you've set up the Free Speech Union suggests that, you know, things are actually pretty bad in terms of free speech online where where are we going to end up with this well i mean it's not um, just online is it it's offline as well but i'm yeah i'm I'm focusing on online i think that um you know the prognosis must be quite poor i'm not optimistic that things are going to get better anytime soon i mean a, a couple of examples um in scotland there is currently a hate crime bill before the scottish parliament which wants to extend the number of protected characteristics whereby if you are accused of if 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 you if you're convicted of committing a crime in which someone in possession of one of those characteristics is the victim then that that can result in uh, a higher sentence than if they're not a member of the one of those protected groups not only they're wanting to extend the number of protected categories but they want to make stirring up hatred against a member of one of those categories whether intentionally or not to be a criminal offence punishable I think by seven years in jail so you know if Selena Todd for instance um, if this if this law passes unamended and Selena Todd was to criticize a trans woman competing in a men's rugby team uh, 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 was a trans man competing in a men's rugby team. No, wait a minute. No, a trans woman competing in a woman's rugby team. If she was to do that in the public square, it, it could be that she could be prosecuted under this new law for stirring up hatred against transgendered people and uh, end up going to jail. Uh, so that's 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 a pretty terrible development. But there's also the Law Commission in England and Wales is currently consulting about whether to bring a very similar bill before the British Parliament. And actually, someone's described what the Law Commission are currently proposing to turn into law as the Scottish hate crime bill on steroids. So the Free Speech Union has been you know, quite busy. We, we submitted some evidence to the, Scot- the Justice Committee of the Scottish Parliament, uh, pointing out why we thought the hate crime bill would have a chilling effect on free speech and criminalise various speech acts which aren't currently criminal. And we're going to be doing the same in the case of the Law Commission's consultation in England and Wales. But I think more generally, the reason I'm pessimistic is because I don't think that tolerating dissenting points of view, disagreeing 
with one another in a civil, good-humoured, respectful way comes naturally to human beings. You know, I think we're naturally quite tribal, uh, quite Mm. aggressive creatures, and we create a sense of moral community by designating certain values as sacred and certain things as taboo. And when someone breaches one of those taboos, when they transgress one of your sacred values, the impulse is to push them out to punish them, to excommunicate them. And yeah, that's always been the case. And we've seen that, you know, throughout human history. And I think it's taken an enormous effort, you know, by countless generations to create these liberal institutions and this liberal framework of law, whereby people with dissenting views, minority views, people who challenge status quo, prevailing orthodoxies, are not punished or persecuted, but are protected. But it goes contra- it runs contrary to human nature. It takes a huge effort of will, a huge amount of work to preserve those institutions and that legal framework. And if people aren't willing to do it, then it just begins to fall away and we revert to a kind of more primitive, more tribal way of life. Um, and that seems to be what's happening. And I'm not sure how we go about revitalizing those institutions and those values you know we're doing our best we're doing our best to protect people who do find themselves at the sharp end of twitch fork mobs we've got an education program whereby we're going to be going into six forms and universities trying to educate young people about the importance of free speech and why it matters and should matter to them uh, so we, we've got various initiatives that are underway but you know we're one group we're only 10 people it needs you know lots of different groups um, all working for the same cause in order to make a difference and there are some other you know there are some other pro-free speech groups like index on censorship um, international pen uh, liberty but they haven't been as energetic in their defense of free speech in the past sort of five or ten years as they might have been but maybe if uh, with a bit of competition from us it will um, reinvigorate them too and what's happened to your own kind of experience of the the twitch fork i mean your your this happened you know your experience of being cancelled was 2018 you're you're still on social media you're still doing your stuff do you still get attacked by twitter mobs how thick a skin do you have to have I think, to be um, on social media and to be doing what you're doing. <laughs> I think you probably have to have a fairly thick skin. I used to engage with people when they attacked me on Twitter and get kind of pulled into these kind of endless spats. But I've now become much better at just muting people or if they continue uh, to, to, to say horrid things, block, blocking them rather than engaging mm. with them. And, you know, I've become a bit more thick skinned too. I'm, you know, when I trend on Twitter because people are objecting to something I've written in The Spectator. I think you were trending today, Toby, or yesterday. I'm sure you were. Maybe. Uh, Yeah, well, we recently defended Darren Grimes and David Starkey, who um, were initially targeted for... Uh, and it, 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 what became in, they were under investigation by the Metropolitan Police for stirring up racial hatred, um, which uh, I think was an absurd allegation. And I'm pleased to say that the Met have now backed off. Um, and that's probably why I was trending yesterday. But yeah, yeah. I, I, see, I didn't even know I was trending yesterday, Tony. I've become <laughs> that uh, <laughs> blase now Immune. about social yes. media. Yeah. yeah, well, you are the person who famously wrote How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. So I guess, and that's, gosh, how long ago is that, that you wrote that? That's quite a few I mean, years ago now. it was published now, in 2001. So uh, yes. yeah, it's quite a while ago. 
with that fantastic film with Simon Pegg, which I thought was just brilliant. Oh, well, thank you. So I normally ask everyone just three questions at the end about their digital habits, just very, very briefly. If you have a message for everyone listening to the podcast about the way they engage with the digital world or their tech habits or something you'd like them to think about, it might be about free speech, it might be something else. What would you yes. most like to say to them? Well, probably, probably the most common case we have at the Free Speech Union are people who've said something on social media in what they thought was a protected private environment in which they were only talking to friends or like-minded people, only to have that brought up and used as evidence against them um, in an institution, whether a university or by their employer, just like the Christy Higgs case I discussed earlier. And I think that and we, we debate in the Free Speech Union, should, should we advise our members, you know, not to say anything controversial or to express any unorthodox dissenting opinions on Facebook or Twitter or even on WhatsApp because uh, in a WhatsApp group because um, there's a possibility it may be brought up and used against them. But that would almost be to concede too much to the enemies of free speech, to the kind of uh, woke enforcers of kind of uh, progressive orthodoxy. Uh, so I think what, what, what we say to them is, you know, don't censor yourself if you don't want to, but just be aware that, you know, almost everything you say on social media, including in a WhatsApp group that you think is just consists of your friends, everything you say, it sticks around, you know, even if you delete it, someone could have screenshotted it. And, you know, if you get into, don't be surprised if at some point in the future, someone brings that brings up something you've said and uses it to try and punish you in some way, up to and including getting you fired. So I'd say be very, very cautious and know when posting on social media that what you're saying can be used as evidence against you, even if you think you're saying it to just your friends. You know, be super cautious. It has been weaponized by the woke left and they are completely unscrupulous about using whatever they can to get their enemies. And their enemies include almost everyone who doesn't sign up to every jot and tittle of their agenda, which incidentally kind of changes on almost, on an almost daily basis. So it's very difficult to keep abreast of it. Uh, so that would be my that would be my that would be my kind of core message, I think. OK. And have you got I don't know if you do get any kind of balance, Toby, with kind of the digital world and social media and online and offline but if do you is there anything you do to try and make sure you don't get too sucked into it have you got any way of keeping a kind of you know a bit of protective barrier between you and the digital world what do you do you know, do you have times very... when you're completely off your phone or not are you just not one of those really. people that's permanently no, I... glued to it I, I'm 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 pretty yeah I'm pretty glued to it to be honest I mean I I used to spend more time on Twitter than I have done in the last six months, because in the last six months, I've been completely preoccupied with the pandemic and with government's mm. responses to it around the world. And I started this blog called LockdownSkeptics.org and produced daily updates, uh, as well as publish original material. And that has taken over my life. It takes so much time that it means I just don't have time 
to look at Twitter anymore, which is why I didn't know I was trending yesterday, for instance. And in a way, that's quite, I mean, in a way, it's quite liberating. Um, yeah. I've, I've quite liked kind of not frittering away my time on Facebook or Twitter. But other than just having something that's so all consuming and absorbing to kind of distract you from it, I'm not sure what else I could recommend. <laughs> and finally, what, you, what do you think you've learned about yourself from... Yeah, your relationship with social media, your relationship with di the digital world over the years. It's been quite a rocky journey, hasn't it? Yeah, I suppose I feel you see both the worst of people and the best of people on social media. You sometimes, you sometimes, you know, Twitter is used in an incredibly kind of um, uh, uplifting way. You know, someone might have lost a wallet or might have lost their dog. And they'll put out a kind of SOS on Twitter and people will be incredibly helpful and responsive, you know, and want to help complete strangers. And often they'll track down the wallet or they'll find mm -hmm. the dog or it's a children's it's a child's toy that someone's found on a train. And they yeah, kind of flag up the fact that they yeah. found it. Some, this must be, you know, really valuable to someone. Yeah. Help me reunite this toy with its owner. And, and it happens. And he kind of, you know, it's touching. It's moving. It's the best of humanity. But. Too often, you also see the worst of humanity. And uh, I think probably the worst outweighs the best by a factor of probably about 100 to 1. Um, but, uh, I guess um, I'm not sure if I could count this as something I've learnt, but uh, seeing the brutality, the unscrupulousness, the sadism, the spite that seems to kind of is is ever present on twitter has sort of confirmed my fairly jaundiced view of human nature so do you think you're kinder to other people on social media as a result of that i mean has, what what impacts that had on you seeing how people can turn so violently well i think i think i i much i'm much less inclined to attack other people i certainly don't try and whip up pitchfork mobs or twitchfork mobs against people i think if I've learnt anything, it's it's when to walk away. I mean, I think I'm I'm naturally, you know, a pretty aggressive person. I quite like getting into fights of various kinds. I have that kind of, you know, joy de guerre. And uh, I think I've managed to kind of rein that in a bit. <laughs> Toby, thanks so much. Can you tell everyone how to find you and how to find the Free Speech Union? What are your yeah. What's the website? What are the What are the social handles? Sure. Um, so the Free Speech Union is freespeechunion.org. And on Twitter, it's uh, at speech union. Um, and I think on Facebook, I think it's um, I think it's just freespeechunion.org as well. And uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter as at Toadmeister. That dated back to a more sophomoric, uh, sophomoric uh, period in my life. But nonetheless, I'm saddled with it. That's lovely. Thanks so much, Toby. It's been great talking to you. Good to talk to you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. 
Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.